the Word Made Fresh podcast with your host. I'm Matthew Tracy. And I'm Wendy Santel. Once again, thanks for joining us. We are downright delighted to have you. Thank you guys for being with us once again. Welcome one, welcome all. A glad welcome to everyone. In the last episode, we continued our study on the topic, Inspiration of the Bible, and we looked into Fulfilled Bible Prophecy, understanding that God can foretell the future, but more importantly, that God has a future for us. What will be our study for today? So today, we are going to be continuing that theme of Inspiration of the Bible, and specifically for today, we're going to be looking at Creation. The Bible speaks about creation, and we want to take a little bit closer look at that topic. I believe the, ins- the story of uh, creation is a good story to start with, especially as we study the Bible, to understand how God created all things. But before we begin, as is the custom, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you once again for this time. We pray that you will bless the study of your word, that you will fill our hearts with hope, and inspiration, and that you'll give us a mind of inquiry, and you will inspire us to dig deeper into these things, and to really know what is truth. We pray that you will help us and lead us into life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The creation story. How does the Bible start? In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the very beginning of the book, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So was there a beginning? The implication there is that there indeed was a beginning, both of the earth and of the universe as well. And what are the implications of having uh, a beginning, especially of the earth? So this is always very interesting. If there was a beginning of the earth, we ask a simple question. Can the earth be the cause of the earth itself? This is referred to as the Kalam cosmological principle. And so what it basically asks is, what is the cause for the universe? Because if the universe has a beginning, the thing itself cannot be the cause of it. And so there must be a cause outside of the universe, outside of this earth, that created them both. Yes. It's much like a carpenter who builds a table. If I asked you, here's a wooden table with white paint and nails. Did the table, did the wood and the nails and the paint, did they create the table itself? No, I will imply that there is at least someone that knows or something that knows how to make tables. Absolutely. So we would say a carpenter was responsible for the table. In like manner, when it comes to the earth, when it comes to the universe, we understand that whatever created the earth, whatever created the universe, the cause of it must be infinitely wise and powerful. It must be significantly greater than what we can see with our eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the Bible is really clear about that. And the claim from the Bible is that God is the one that created the heaven and the earth. Amen. Was there an order to how God created the heaven and the earth? The Bible does indeed lay out a particular order. We find that in the first three days, God created certain spaces. And then in the last three days, he filled these spaces, making a total of six days of creation. On the first day, in Genesis chapter 
chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, God created light and darkness. Verses 6 through 8, he created a firmament and divided the sea and the sky. Mm-hmm. That's day 2. Day 2, yeah. In verses 9 through 13, day 3, he creates land masses and fills the land with uh, vegetation. In day 4, he begins to fill the, the light and the darkness with the sun and the moon. He creates the sun to rule over the day and the moon to rule over the night in verses 14 through 19. Verses 20 through 23, on day 5, God makes fish to fill the sea and birds to fill the sky. On day number 6, in verses 24 through 31, creation is completed with God filling the earth with land animals and finally placing mankind upon it. Mm-hmm. Finally, on day 7, it says that God rested from all of his works which he created and made. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Mm-hmm. So the, the story from Genesis chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 shows us that God was really purposeful in the way that he created the earth. He created yes. first the space, and then we see in the follow-up days, he created the, the elements to fill that space as well. And in day 7, he rested himself. And fills that space with time for himself. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Uh, just before I go further, I want to dig a little bit into some of the terms that was mentioned Uh and for example, in day two, we see that God created the firmament, the sea, and the sky. Uh, what do we? What does the word firmament mean? It looks like a. Well, I don't know if we use it in everyday language anymore. <laughs> it's a good good thing to raise here because sometimes there is a little bit of confusion regarding the creation. Uh, the book itself will define what it means. So when it says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, we can actually discern. We can learn what heaven is based on the way it's de- defined in Genesis chapter chapter 1. Mm-hmm. So in verses 6 through 8, it says that God made a firmament. And then it tells us in verse 20 that the birds fly in this firmament. Mm-hmm. So where do the birds fly? We just have to ask ourselves, where did the, blur- the birds fly? In the sky. So the, the heaven, in this case, is the sky. Okay, so the firmament is a, you can say a synonym for the word heaven or sky. In, yeah, in this or we might call it atmosphere. Atmosphere makes sense, mm-hmm. and uh, I have one more question uh, as a definition I want to clear up. And what do we mean by God creating the earth? And, and uh... yeah, so in verse ten it says that He created the earth with all of the plants and such. And then in verses twenty four and twenty five it says that the animals were made upon that earth. Mm-hmm. And so what we can, in other words, the earth is where the animals live. These four legged animals. Yeah, uh, the creepy, crawly animals, the ones that live on the earth. So we learn that the earth literally is, def- is defined by land mass. And in the very beginning, what you find is that it says in Genesis chapter 1, what is it, verse 2? Uh, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So before there was anything physical or solid of any kind of substance on the earth, there was a body of water. And so he divided the water and then he brought forth land, and then he filled all the spaces there. Thanks for clearing up those two questions. I want to ask, is there any takeaway that we can learn from the creation story? What are some of the lessons that we can learn, that God created the heaven and the earth? What can we learn from that? Okay, so one thing that we can take away right off the bat is we really don't know how old the universe is from a biblical from a biblical perspective. We, we don't know. It, it places the beginning 
mm-hmm. of the earth in Genesis chapter 1 and puts our focus primarily on, on the earth. Mm-hmm. So heaven and earth in this context refer to our planet, our scope. That's right. In a way, the galaxy that we live in. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Secondly, um, dovetailing off that, the focus being on the earth, when you continue with Genesis and the creation of man and what happens after man and woman are, when they're created, mm-hmm. The rest of the Bible from that point onwards focuses on what we might call the human story. Mm-hmm. So the Bible begins to deal with all of the big questions that relate to man. Where did I come from? What value do I have? Where am I going? You know, all of those big questions. Got it. Uh, and I, I don't think this is to say that God didn't create everything, but we see that the Bible specifically is basic instruction before leaving earth for the human race. That's exactly it. So it really hones in on those certain things that are necessary for us to focus on. I will assume that if God were to create things, if God is powerful, that the things that he created itself is in a good condition. What what would you say? Huh. When you get down to the end of the verse or at the end of the chapter, it says that God beheld everything that he had made and behold, everything was very good. And we recognize um, for a lot of people, that this is very hard to deal with sometimes because they've experienced things in life that are not very good. They've gone through a lot of hurt. They've suffered. They've seen things they wish they never see. They you know, did things they wish they never did. Yeah, and even if we look at the earth, there's a lot of, uh, we can say there's this idea of global warming, that the earth is breaking down, that in a way you can say that is not very good. Like right. How do we make sense of it? Yeah, so <laughs> it definitely challenges the biblical worldview. And all a very simple answer to that, how do we make sense of it, is we recognize that it is not what it was then. So the earth now is, is somewhat, in some ways, different than the, word, than the world that God created. Exactly. And that's not to say that there's not a reason for this and that we can't find reasons for these. But we'll be looking into more of those uh, issues when we deal with the... when we look at the creation of man in more detail and then his subsequent fall from grace and the sin that eventually, and the turmoil that followed that fall. Makes sense. Uh, I want to raise another question, because in the order that you gave earlier, we see that there was a day, day one, I think all the way to day seven. Uh, can we say that you know God took a pause between each day? Uh, maybe he worked for eight hours and then took a pause. Uh, right. Can you say that there's a gap between those days? Yeah, sometimes the gap is a lot longer than eight hours. <laughs> So there is a theory out there called the gap theory or day-age theory. You have a lot of different theories. Mm-hmm. And uh, these these ideas come basically from people that um, they're typically people who have an evolutionary mindset or people that are trying to take what the Bible says and then somehow harmonize it with some of the scientific mm-hmm. literature so, about evolution and so forth. So you're saying the Bible doesn't? teach this concept that there was a gap there was some break in between if you handed the bible to a five-year-old somebody who could read young let's say seven eight-year-old none of them would ever come back and say here's day age theory here's gap theory not one of them when you look at it it is very clear from the context first of all there's nothing in the context that suggests uh that um any of uh the days were anything other than a literal day. I see. And what are some reasoning uh, to help support that opinion? 
Okay, sure. Even okay. So let's talk about this then in a practical perspective.、Mm-hmm. If we're dealing with what we know about the Earth, ecology and geology and all this stuff, there are certain symbiotic relationships in the ecosystem that are absolutely fundamental and necessary for life to exist. So, for example,、um, the Bible says on day three, there was the land with all its vegetation,、mm-hmm. and then on day four came the sun. So, over the course of twenty-four hours. If he made all of the vegetation, it's not going to pass away within 24 hours. But if we put a day age or 20 years or 20,000 years or two million years or a billion, well, then how in the world did the vegetation stay alive? And then, for a very simple illustration,、uh, a symbiotic relationship would be like the bee and the flower. No bee, no flower. No flower, no bee. So you need both there at the same time. So these pollinators that are necessary for Propagating life on the earth, they needed to be there at the same time.、Mm-hmm. And it seems that you were suggesting that the Bible doesn't really leave room for this theory of evolution. And I think if we were to compare some of the a timeline that is predicted in the Bible, that is laid out in the Bible, we see that they somewhat differ with what we see in the worldview of evolution. First thing, we need a lot of time for evolution, and we also see a lot of reversal in the world also of when things happen.、Uh, when we compare the creation perspective. Versus the evolution, evolutionary perspective. How do you make sense of this? You can say, can you make sense? Can you even make sense of this? Of these gaps. So, as far as I can tell, at least, and I think for anybody who reads the Bible as it reads, there's no way to really harm, harmonize these two, because from the evolutionary perspective, you have land, and we're talking like the entire. Theory from Big Bang onwards, you have land on the Earth, and it's raining upon the rocks for a very long time, and then you know, somehow life starts in this water.、Mm. But the point is, is that you got land first, and then you got water, which is backwards to the Bible. The Bible is very clear that God's Spirit moved upon the face of the waters, and then He brought forth land. So the order is backwards. You know, you have reptiles in the evolutionary point of view that give rise to the birds later on. Um, the biblical account says that the birds were in the sky along with the fishes first,、mm-hmm. and then came the land animals. And then, of, co- of course, a very big one in all of this is that, in the evolutionary perspective, man was one of the last things to come, and all throughout the you know the millennium, the the millions of years, millions of years, long ago and far away, you had death. You had everything was dying. Mm-hmm. Because the the fittest will survive and the lower species will stay behind. Yeah, that's it. But in the biblical perspective, man is what brought sin into the world, and through sin, death.、Um, I see. So from from the from evolution, everything seems very backward to the Bible. But I I do want to challenge one more point that you brought up earlier that God created everything、uh, in day one, day two, and you know, day four, and and so forth. How can we be sure that each day was specifically a twenty-four hour day?、Okay. Can we make that case from the Bible? Yeah, right.、Um, so, besides there being no internal evidence from the text to suggest this, there are at least two other things that we can consider.、Um, the first one is that in verses five, eight, thirteen, nineteen, twenty-three, and thirty-one, it always says the evening and the morning, or the first day, second day, third day, so forth. So there's always a morning and an evening. That's not 
tens of thousands of years. That's a morning and an evening. That's a morning and an evening. <laughs> and, <a> morning. <laughs> and then the second thing is that at the end of it all, on day seven, God made the Sabbath. And you look at that in Genesis chapter two, verses one through three. When you compare that with Exodus chapter 20, verses eight through 11, God told the children of Israel in the Ten Commandments, he said, keep the Sabbath day holy. Six days you will labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, you'll do no work. So do we expect that God told the children of Israel, I want you to work six days and then do nothing? For, for a long time? <laughs> yeah, forever, because we're now in the seventh day and everything has come to a finish. You know, the six days of, you know, all these day ages, millennia have finally come to a pass and now we're resting. Yeah. And I think sometimes people, you know, there's other verses in the Bible where there's this concept that a day is equal to a thousand years and, you know, people can come with different idea. But from the book of Genesis... Uh, we see that it's very clear that there was an evening and there was a morning as well. Yeah, and let's note that uh, a thousand is not tens of thousands or millions. Yeah, there's that as well. Uh, I want to play with this idea uh, a little bit further. So we see in the Bible story there was seven days. So this comprised a week. Uh, when we look at the world, for example, the earth, for, uh, for example, we have earthly rotation. So for each day, we have a morning and an evening. And we, we know pretty much, hey, this is a day. Uh, is there any other metric that we can use to say, hey, this is a week? How do we get this concept of week? Is that something from the Bible? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because um, think about it. You've got uh, for a day, we calculate the day based on the rotation of the earth. Mm-hmm. We get the month based on the cycle of the moon. And we get a year based upon the earth's orbit around the sun. Yeah, why did God pick seven seven days? That's my essence. How, how do we get seven days? Yeah, I, I can't tell you why. Um, I'd like to know why, but I can tell you at least this much. Um, it, it, part of the reason why is because he knows what's best for us. And he designed it that way. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. <laughs> there are a couple of ideas. Um, one that I'm familiar with or most familiar with is some people speculate that the way we got the seven-day week was because of the planets that we could visually see. Mm. So they surmised that ancient man was walking through the desert or through the wilderness and he saw, okay, he sees five different planets, Mars, Venus, you know, whatever. Sees a few of them. And then if you include the sun and the moon, that would give us seven. And because he was fascinated with the planets, he created (laughs) a seven-day week. So that's one idea. I mean, Uh you know, you decide. So you're saying there's no scientific reason for a seven-day week. Yeah, in other words, there is no. And that's why, you know, people are trying to give an answer for it other than God did it that way. I see. For some people, you (laughs) you understand that doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, They've tried now. People have tried it. A 10-day week, you know, back in France uh, between 1793 and 1802. Um the French did have a 10-day week and it ended disastrously. I think it's too long to work for like nine days. <laughs> eight days, you have a two-day weekend. Or maybe you have a five-day weekend. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. There's one other thing that's really interesting in all this is, um, I don't know how many people are familiar with it. This was relatively new for me not too long ago. Uh, I think a lot of people are familiar with circadian rhythms, which are certain bodily rhythms that happen throughout the course of a 24-hour period. But what evidence is now starting to suggest is that there is a circuseptin rhythm. So in other words, a rhythm that follows a seven-day cycle. And when certain issues in the body are severe, it'll actually half that. In other words, like whatever happens 
for healing typically mm-hmm. and you know rejuvenation and this sort of stuff it actually doubles and so the time is half as short you know three and a half so like the, the flu a common cold um, you know a lot of these sorts of things if you just check it out there's a lot out there but it's fascinating that there is this body of evidence mounting that suggests that maybe not all but a certain you know a vast amount of our you know biological chemistry mm-hmm. it revolves around a seven day cycle got it it's kind of like god created the world and he created men and then he created a pattern that kind of like fits into mankind uh, life uh, and our daily routine as well mm-hmm. it's interesting uh, stuff. speaking of mankind <laughs> i want to know exactly how did god create men because from what we learn in evolution is that there is this process long time And then after a few cycles, you know, from Homo sapiens, sapiens, and so forth, then you get human. Does the Bible present a different story to that narrative? Yes, it does. It's quite different. From that perspective, everything is kind of like a random mishap. Mm-hmm. A yeah. clog in the evolutionary machinery yeah, is like, mankind. You know, your parents were here, some survive, and then now you're here. But in the biblical account... Um, if you look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, there is a personal touch that God gave to the human family. Uh, everything else you see that he and God said, God said, he spoke everything into existence and it was. He spoke and it was. But when it came to the first human being, it says that he formed him of the dust of the earth. Mm-hmm. He had to stoop down and use his own hands to form the man. I see. So... In the evolutionary perspective, we have this concept of a chicken and egg problem. Did God make, I don't know, which, which one did he make first? Did he make the chicken or the egg first when it comes to the human story? <laughs> well, he must have made the chicken. <laughs> and we have an issue, right? Because it says when he made the first man, from the man he made the woman. Mm-hmm. And he gave them both, you know, prerogative over the earth and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, but this concept of male and female... That is hard to explain outside of God. Where did male and female come from? That's the whole chicken and egg thing that you're referring to, huh? Yeah. yeah. Right? So, yeah. Um, chicken and egg is one thing. Where'd the, where'd the male chicken and the female chicken come from to get the eggs? <laughs> yes. I think it's even more challenging, right, than, than the chicken and egg pro- problem mm-hmm. itself. You know, there's something that's really neat about this whole thing, too. I just want to share this with everybody out there. When you take a look... I think this lends credence to the Bible too, just FYI. When you look at the words for the man, for the for the male, it says that he was formed, much like, you know, like a statue is chiseled. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the woman, it says that she was built, literally more aesthetically pleasing. Made, I think that, you know, that's how we say it in English. Yeah, the, the translation is made, literally in the, the original tongue, built. And, and so when you look at a man, typically, he should be formed, chiseled. <laughs> you look at the woman, though, and she is built. Aesthetically huh? pleasing. Home. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's interesting. And that lends a lot of credence to what the Bible's yeah, saying. That's true. Uh, so are you saying then from the Bible it's impossible to get a human being from a monkey? Yes. The Bible is basically saying that. And here's, here's how we know. Because in verses 11 and 12... 21 as well as 24 and 25 in Genesis 1. It says there that God made everything after its kind. Now we don't know exactly what the limit of a kind is, but the implication is there is that there is a limit. 
there was a certain kind of swimming animal, mm. or swimming animals, certain kind kinds of birds, mm-hmm. and certain land animals, kinds. Humankind is a kind, and that kind comes in two forms, male and female, and a whole variety of different colors and heights and complexions and all this mm. detail. But there's still just one kind. Got it. The canine is always going to produce canine kind. I see. Right? Yeah, because I think in the Bible, in the book of Acts, you know, Paul was preaching and he, and he told the people that God has made all nations of one blood. Okay? So everything after is kind. And we see that it's very clear from the Bible that human is very special in God, God's eyes as well. Speaking of the creation story, I want to know exactly uh, how did God make the earth? Yes, um, it says in Psalms chapter 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. In verse 9, for he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So we see God spake thing into existence, except for the kiss of men in Genesis 2, 7. We see there was a personal touch. That's a very good point. And who exactly made, made all those things? Uh, so in Hebrews chapter 1, we get a very definite answer. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, he says, God, who at sun-dry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken, us, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, wow. That is amazing. So we see that God did not simply create the earth, you know, and let it run on its own, but it's he is even upholding all things by his powerful word. Amen. What application can we make of of this study? What lesson can we learn? How can we make it fresh for our life? So the one big takeaway from all of this, at first, there is reason to trust the biblical account when it speaks about creation. So we can take faith in that and trust in that. And maybe we're not satisfied. We need to go a little bit further. But we can at least say there is reason to believe. Secondly, And probably the biggest takeaway from all this is to highlight again that there was this personal touch. Humans are not an afterthought. They were created with a reason and with a purpose. And God, like we saw last time, is very much interested in what is going on in the world. And what what that means for us is that he wants to have a personal hand in shaping our lives. Wow, that is amazing. It's it's good to know that there's something special to the human race. Right? I think in the book of Psalms, it talks about how God created us wonderfully and beautifully as well. Yes. Uh, it's powerful to know, powerful to learn. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you all for listening. Most definitely. From the Word Made Fresh podcast, we are your humble servant. I'm Matthew Tracy. And I'm Wendy Sentel. Thank you for joining us. And guys, be sure, as always, leave a comment below. We want to hear from you, whatever questions you may have. Please like the video, subscribe, and share for those who you think could use a blessing. Please join us next time. Stay fresh.